Man, it's awesome to see you today. Uh, thanks for being here. It is awesome to worship God. And what a great reminder that no matter what we're going through, no matter what we're facing, that God is not going to let go of us. He holds us. Uh, he is Lord. Even over all the things that are happening in the world around us, Jesus is King. He's reigning. And uh, we can celebrate that today. All right. Well, I uh, just want to welcome you. We're in week three of a series that we're doing here at Hope called We Are Family. And we're talking about God's desire for the church. Uh, church isn't just an event we attend. It's not just a service we watch. What we saw in week one is that church is actually a family that we belong to. And here at Hope, we are a church family. And it's kind of cool because God saves us and he puts us in a big old family. And that's the church. It's our brothers and sisters in Christ. And uh, God's desire is that we would be connected to a spiritual family. Well, last week, we talked a little bit about what it means to be a family, or what it looks like to be a family. And in a church, it's not really about indulging my flesh. It's not really about getting what I want. To be a family means that I'm humbling myself, and I'm laying down my life to love and to serve a family. You do for family. Why? Why do you do for family? Because Jesus did for us. He humbled himself. He loved us. He laid down his life for us. And so as we come here at Hope, as we are a family of brothers and sisters in Christ, we want to humble ourselves and lay down our lives for one another, just like Jesus laid down his life for us. And that's what it means to be a family. We love and we serve one another. It's one of our core values here. Well, um, as, as many of you know, um, family gets messy sometimes, and, and obviously relationships can be messy, and church can be a big, messy family, and that's what I want to talk about today, and uh, sure enough, I, I always mess things up in my family, and I did it just this week. Uh, our coffee maker has a red light that turns on whenever it needs to be cleaned, and uh, I learned at church last week that I should look around and ask what needs to be done. So I did that, and I saw a light, and I thought, okay, you know, you do the vinegar, water thing, and wipe it down, and I grabbed the washcloth, and I'm wiping all of the um, black gunk, you know, from inside and outside the coffee maker. I get it all cleaned up, and I toss the rag to the sink. No problem, right? Well, sure enough, immediately Angie says, seriously, who uses a brand new Norwex washcloth to clean coffee gunk out of the coffee maker. See here, I thought I was just using a washcloth. Turns out it is the Mercedes-Benz of washcloths and I have just taken it on a joyride through the mud. Thank you very much. And her only question is, why didn't you just grab one of the old washcloths from the drawer right next to you? A question I was unable to answer, so I apologize and said, I'm so sorry, honey. And, um, you know, the great thing about family is that I know that Angie loves me, mess and all, and that's what family is about. And, you know, and, and here at church, we are a family, and church gets messy. And, and uh, I, I just wonder, um, you know, maybe, maybe here's something that's probably never happened to you at church, and that's have a conflict with another Christian, right? I mean, that's never, never happens. Or, uh, you know, um, somebody, um, we get into disagreements or get our feelings hurt or get offended by each other. 
that never happens in church, right? No, of course, I'm being sarcastic, right? That, that does happen. We do get hurt. We do get offended. And I think sometimes we're surprised because we're like, oh, you know, like that's, this happened to me at church. And um, we shouldn't be surprised because church is made up of sinners. <laughs> Every one of us, me included, we are all imperfect people who are trusting in a perfect Savior. And uh, if you all remember, one of the very first things we admitted when we came to Christ is we admitted our own sin. And that's what I did. That's what every one of us did. And so here we are a family of sinners. And Jesus is actually working in us and working in our family to change our life. And so I would say that the church is actually the perfect place for imperfect people. And if you're here today and you're an imperfect person, well, you know, come and join us. <laughs> come be, be one of us. Because here at Hope, that's who we are. We're a real church of real people who are pursuing a real God. And uh, if we're going to do that as family, like what God wants, then we have to learn how to love each other, mess and all, just like we do with our family at home. And really one of the things that I have... I love about Hope, and I've seen this over the last four years that I've been here, is this is a church, and, and you guys know this, this is a church that gets into the mess, and we love each other through the mess. And it's actually one of my favorite things about this church is that we do family, and part of that is loving each other even when it gets messy, even when we sin against each other and hurt each other, and, and I think that's what family's all about. So maybe you go, how do we do that? How, how do we do that at Hope? And one of the places we've looked as a church over the years is Matthew 18. So I want to invite you, if you have your Bible or maybe you brought a Bible app, go ahead and flip over to Matthew 18. And we're going to look at that today. We're going to walk through it um, and just talk about how we can love each other through the messiness of relationships and hurt and disagreement and all that. Uh, if you read Matthew 18... As you guys are turning there, if you read Matthew 18 closely, what you're going to see is that Jesus is giving us a path for overcoming sin in our relationships right here in the church, in the family of believers. And um, I want to read this to you today. Listen to this. This is from Matthew 18, verses 15 through 17. This is what Jesus teaches us. Jesus says... If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So I really love this passage. You know, it kind of gets pretty strong there at the end. But I love this passage because Jesus is actually giving us a path to overcoming so much of the messiness of our relationships. And if you think about relationships, a lot of problems go unresolved. And what's cool here is that Jesus has given us a path for us to work it out, for us to figure it out, and for us to have closer, healthy relationships with one another. And you can apply the principles of this path, 
not only to our church relationships, but you can apply it to your family relationships, to your marriage relationships, to your relationship with your mother-in-law or with that difficult co-worker. The, the relational wisdom that Jesus has given here, us here really is powerful. And what we're going to see as we look at this together is that, that when we actually choose to get into the mess and when we love each other through that mess, um, it's not only transforming for others, it's not only transforming our, for our relationship, but it's actually transforming for us. God is, is growing us as we follow his plan for bringing peace to our relationships. So that's what I want to look at today. We can apply it to so many ways um, as we experience the mess in some of our relationships. So let's pray and we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we get to worship you um, as our God, as our Savior, as our King. We are grateful that um, even in the midst of difficulty and mess, even relational mess, we thank you, God, that you're reigning and that you're working and that you're creating opportunities for us to grow spiritually, to grow closer to you, and to become more like Christ. So I pray that you would help us as we study your word. Um, challenge us, encourage us, uh, help us to take to heart this path that you've given us. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so what do we do when we have relationship issues, especially with other Christians in the family of believers? How do we get into the mess, love each other, and honor God through it? Well, the first thing that Jesus teaches us in Matthew 18 um, and I'm, I'm actually going to zoom back a little bit here. Um, you might say the first thing Jesus says is go point out their fault. Uh, but I'm actually going to zoom out a little bit and say the very first thing that Jesus wants to teach us is to start with the heart. Um, what do we do when we encounter relational difficulty? We need to start with our heart. Because where does my heart go when I'm hurt, when I'm offended? Uh, you know, it, it probably doesn't go to a good spot. I get angry, I get frustrated, sometimes fear rises up, you know, all these emotions are rising up, my flesh is taking over, we looked at that last week, our flesh is our sinful self, and a lot of times that sinful self is one of the first thing that, things that come out, which Paul describes, which we saw last week, Galatians 5, as hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions and factions, and with all that coming up, I would just say, typically my heart is not in a good spot to have a healthy conversation. I don't know about your heart, but I'll just, my heart right, usually right away is not in the best spot. And uh, there's a great quote from Ambrose Bierce. He says, speak when you're angry and you will give the best speech you'll ever regret. <laughs> you guys ever given that speech? I've given that speech. Speak when you're angry. You'll give the best speech you'll ever regret. And so I just want to encourage us today that before we do Matthew 18, before we like engage somebody in this process, um, let's make sure that it's not about the right process, but it's also let us make sure we have the right heart as we go through the process. And I think James actually points us in this direction when he says, uh, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And you would say, well, it's what they did. And James says, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Isn't that interesting that James points us back to our own heart when we go through fights and quarrels? And, 
And he just reminds us that in every conflict, we're going to have things in our own heart that need to be addressed. Before I can deal with what's wrong with us, I need to deal with what's wrong in me. And that's starting with our heart. I have to realize that part of the solution to the problem is bringing my own heart before the Lord. You maybe have heard the expression, hurt people hurt people. And that's our sinful flesh. That's our sinful response um, to sin. And I just think that we would be much better equipped to deal with a lot of the problems in our relationships if we would start with our own heart. If we would come humbly, acknowledging our own sin, our own need for forgiveness, not being controlled by the flesh, but being full of the Holy Spirit. That's going to change the game right there. And so I think, you know, we could jump right into Matthew 18 today. Most of you are probably familiar with the passage. Um, Many of you could even list out the steps that Jesus lays out before us. Um, But it's the attitude of the heart as we go through this process that I don't want us to miss. So what's, what's Jesus' heart? You know, start with the heart, okay? What's the heart of Jesus in this passage? And that's what I want to bring to the surface. Listen to Matthew 18. Jesus says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you, and if, you, if they listen to you, they've won you over. Or, I'm sorry, you have won them over. Man, you can't miss the heart of Jesus there. This is a heart of genuine love. The heart of this process is a heart of love and compassion. Jesus says if your brother or sister sins, if your brother sins, if your sister sins, this is that family language we've seen. We've talked about this over the last few weeks. In Christ, we've been reconciled to God. God is called our Father. We're called His sons and daughters, and, and we come now to each other with this love. We are family. And so if your brother sins, if your, your sister sins, say, you know what, I love you too much to let this sin come between us. I love you too much to let this sin ruin your life. And so what does Jesus say? He says, go, point out their fault. To which you may conclude, that is exactly the reason right there, why I wouldn't want to be a follower of Jesus, because I would never, ever want to go and point out somebody's fault, right? Like, who would do that, you ask? And the answer is, it's somebody who cares. It's somebody who loves someone too much to let that sin continue to come between them. It's somebody who who says, I love you too much, and God loves you too much to not deal with that sin. I I care about you too deeply to let that sin ruin your marriage. I'm not going to stand by and watch that addiction ruin your life. I care too much about you. You're too important to God and to me. So as hard as that is, as uncomfortable as it is, I just want to say, let's talk. Let's talk about this difficult thing. I care enough to get into the mess. And Jesus says, if they listen to you, I love this, you've won them over. You've got your brother back. You got your sister back. The relationship is restored. You've won them over. And and the win here isn't like 
you won the argument. That's not what the winning Jesus is talk about, talking about. You've won them over. Um, it means um, it, winning isn't about being right. It's about making things right. And that's the heart of Jesus. And so I would just say today, before we ever do Matthew 18, we always want to start with our heart. Um, let's acknowledge our own sin, our own weakness before the Lord, and let's come with a heart of genuine humility and love. Because I can't work things out with us until I work things out with me. Start with my heart. Number two, talk it out. Talk it out. We start with our heart and we talk it out. Uh, I love listening to some of the conversations that kids have. A lot of times we'll have kids over at our house. You start to hear the conversations that they have. Uh, one time we had a lot of kids at our house and some of the older boys were calling some of the younger girls baby. And the younger girls didn't like that. They didn't like being called babies. Oh, you're such a baby, this and that. Well, I was really proud of my daughter, who was four years old at the time, because she went up to those older boys, um, who were probably just a few years older, and she looked them in the eye and said, if you call the girls baby, we're going to have a conversation. And I don't know if you realize this, just seeing the terror on those boys' faces, you know, they got quiet pretty, pretty quickly. You know, whether you're an old, a young boy or a grown-up boy, probably one of the most terrifying things is when a girl says, we're going to have a conversation. You know, that's a pretty terrifying moment. And so, you know, chalk it up to lids, you know, hey, if you call, if you call us baby, we're going to have a conversation. I love it. And that's what Jesus is saying. He's saying when things come up, have a conversation. Talk it out. And this is what Jesus is teaching us to do. He's telling us that sin is going to happen. And when it does, don't be surprised. It's not the end of the world. But when that happens, this is what I want you to do. Don't ignore it. Don't sweep it under the rug. Don't stuff it inside of you because it's going to become this volcano of frustration that's brewing up. Just find that right moment and talk it out. Have a conversation. And I know, like I was thinking about this, talk it out. That sounds so simple, but isn't it amazing in 2021 how little talking it out we do? I think sometimes we try to text it out, but we should actually probably be talking it out, right? I mean, isn't it crazy in 2021 that we could actually solve some of our relational difficulties in life by going to the person that directly that offended us and talking it out? As crazy as that sounds, that's like exactly what Jesus is teaching us to do. He says that in Matthew 18, 15. We could put it up on the screen. If your brother or sister sins, go. And I just want to pause right here for a second and commend to you the command of Jesus. He says, go, not just sit there and get offended, not tell everyone, you know, what wrong they did, not stew about it and get angrier or angrier. Jesus is actually commanding us to go to that person and have a conversation with them. Jesus says, point out their fault just between the two of you. And this is really important. When Jesus says, just between the two of you, he's talking about keeping that conversation private. We're going to have a conversation. We're just going to keep this between the two of us. Um, we're keeping it private. 
we're not calling our mom to vent to her. We're not finding all of our Christian friends and telling them about the bad thing that they did. We're not looking for an opportunity to give a prayer request in our small group. And I just think in my life as a pastor, you know, one of the hardest things for me to learn is to learn how to go to people and to have those hard conversations. And people have done that with me. They've come to me and they've said, look, you know, this is what you did. I'm pointing out a fault in your life. And as hard as that is, as uncomfortable as that is, and awkward as that is, you know, I am so grateful when people decide they're going to come and talk to me rather than talking about me. Aren't you grateful when people have the courage just to come and talk to you rather than going around and talking about you? And that's what Jesus is encouraging us to do, guys. This is so important that our very first step is not to tell others, but to go to the person directly and to talk it out. And I think the cool thing about this, as hard as it is, is that so many difficulties in our relationships could be resolved if we would simply just talk to the person, humbly confess our sins, um, extend genuine forgiveness and love, and, and we really do win each other over when we do that. And many, many times the relationship is restored because we talked it out. Okay, but what happens if that doesn't work? Started with my heart. I'm talking it out. Guys, if we would do those two things, I think a lot of relationship issues would be restored right there. But let's say that doesn't work it out. The next thing Jesus points us to in this passage is to actually go and get help. So we start with our heart, we talk it out, and then number three... Jesus encourages us to get help at that point after we've talked about it privately with the person. Uh, any of you remember that old TV game show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? You guys remember that trivia show, Regis? Questions get harder and harder as you go on. I mean, it's a lot of trivia shows like that. The thing that made Millionaire so cool is that each contestant got these lifelines. Remember, there were three lifelines. If you couldn't answer a question, you could use one of your lifelines. And they had the, uh, what was one of them? Poll the audience. So you kind of, they would poll the audience and the audience would give their input on which, which one is the answer to the question or the right answer to the question. Uh, there was 50-50, which was a good one. So you take the four possible choices and you narrow it down to two. So you really do have a 50-50 shot at getting the right answer. But I think my favorite lifeline was the last one, which, what was the third one? Phone a friend, right? Get on the phone on national TV, call up your friend, see if they have any advice on what the right answer would be. And, and so you could actually get on the phone, phone your friend when you get help. And I think Jesus is, is actually encouraging us here in this passage to uh, use a lifeline when it gets this hard and to actually phone a friend. And, and of course, there really are times when talking something out doesn't work it out. You go, what do I do? You know, it, it seems like this has failed. Uh, my brother or sister in Christ isn't listening to me. Uh, maybe they get offended and they blame you. Uh, maybe they deny it and they resent you for bringing it up. Maybe they accept the fact that you're actually pointing out a fault in their life, but they don't do anything about it. They don't make any change. What do you do then? And I would just say at that point, the problem has gotten bigger than just you and your friend. 
And it's time to reach out for one of those lifelines. It's time to actually find somebody who can help you out. Um, it's time to bring others in. And Jesus talks about this next step in Matthew 18, 16. Jesus says this, But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so I think at this point we need to talk with our brother and sister in Christ about, is there someone who could come in as a trusted advisor? Could we bring somebody in to help us work this out? And, and I would say don't reach for that person that agrees with you. Don't just go to the person that's like, oh, they're going to say I'm right. They're going to take my side. Don't necessarily go to that person. Go to somebody who's going to be able to speak to the situation from a biblical perspective, not just somebody that's going to say what you want them to say. That's really important. And this, you know, this could be a mutual friend. This could be a counselor. This could be somebody who's spiritually mature that you both trust and respect. But I think what Jesus is getting at here is sometimes that outside perspective helps to establish the matter. It helps to have somebody speaking from a biblical perspective that has this relational wisdom. They can begin to establish some things. And actually, maybe what they established is that you were wrong in some areas, you know? And so we have to have that humility. Or maybe it's established that this person was at fault in this certain area. And maybe it creates an opportunity for you to come together to admit where you're wrong with this help, with this prayer support, to confess our sins, forgive one another, and the relationship is restored. And that's one of the things we can do. We have this tremendous resource in the body of Christ of having spiritually mature brothers and sisters in Christ who can help us walk through some of these relationship difficulties if talking it out doesn't work out. Well, what if that doesn't work? We had a conversation. We got input, you know, from a godly man or a godly woman. And, and what if it's still, man, we, you know, it's still not working out. Well, Jesus says in Matthew 18, 17, Jesus says, you know, this is kind of the, the, the highest level here. It says, if, if they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So what's this all about? Tell it to the church. I don't think that means on Sunday morning, you know, hey, welcome to Hope. We just have a few announcements and, uh, you know, there's uh, just, we got to tell you about some sin here. Uh, Bob, uh, he's, you know, Bob, you know, we, so we're not going to do that. No, that's not what it's about. What's Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, look, here's a person who is a professed Christian. They're a brother and sister. But isn't it interesting, they continue to wreck and ruin their life. They continue to wreck and ruin the lives of others with their behavior. People have gone to them, and over and over again, they've refused to listen to biblical counsel. And so you actually, Jesus says, tell it to the church. You take them to the community of people who know them and care about them. Then you, as a community, confront them, the people who can love them and restore them. And if all that, all that fails, and they even refuse to listen to the church, what does Jesus say? He says, treat them as a Gentile or a tax collector. That would be somebody who, who um, is not a believer or a follower of Jesus. Why would you do that? But I think Jesus is saying, 
you're not on the same page. You're not reading from the same book. Um, you have a different worldview. You have different values. So treat them as somebody who doesn't share this biblical worldview because they've been getting all this biblical input. Now, that doesn't mean you don't speak to them again. It's not what we're talking about here. It just means that their faith or their lifestyle is so far from the truth that we see in Jesus, they need more than persuasion. They need conversion. And yes, we're still going to love them, but we're going to love them as somebody who still needs to surrender their life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And that's kind of the extreme case right there. But I think what Jesus is teaching us through this passage is, is not only when we get into this mess with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Number one, we want to honor the process. And that means starting with our heart. That means going to the person first and only then bringing others in help. But I think the other thing is going through this process with the right attitude. And that's humility. It's love. It's understanding our own weakness. But most of all, and as, as we wrap up today, you know, we're celebrating communion, just reminded, because this is hard and this is uncomfortable to deal with relational mess. But we remember Jesus today, right? Jesus entered the mess, didn't he? Didn't Jesus enter our mess? He got into the sin that separated us from God. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And the amazing thing is that Jesus loved me so much, he loved you so much, that he came, he got into the mess, he laid down his life on a cross for you and for me, so that our relationship with God could be restored. He died so that we could be forgiven. He took the punishment so that we could have communion with God, fellowship with God. And that's the beauty of the gospel. And what Jesus says is, okay, as I've loved you and gotten into the mess, now I want you to love one another. I want you to love each other in the mess and through the mess just like I've loved you.